Thank you for listening in to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. Our current sermon series is from the book of 1 Corinthians. For more information, visit our website at cumberlandcornerstone.org. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As we think about a very important subject this morning, and that is the defeat of something that uh, we need to defeat it, and that is the defeat of death, the defeat of death. So imagine this is a, a passage of Scripture that we often maybe only hear at a funeral service, uh, but it is a very, very important passage, important passage of Scripture for us. And follow along as we read it. You'll be very familiar with it as you hear it, but it's beginning in verse 50, down through the end of the chapter, it says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then should be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Have you heard that saying, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat? Well, that's true, isn't it? Today, there is the thrill of victory. And there's the agony of defeat. Bring them on. We'll take them. You know, uh, we we see that, obviously, in the sports world. We see that in in our regular world. You know, we we see that in the the world of history. But we we often see defeat uh, in our lives. And we need to understand that what Christ has done for us is he has brought, brought defeat to the greatest enemy, really, that we have, and that is the enemy of death. And, and this morning, we want to look at that. In chapter 15, uh, Paul has shown us that the resurrection is an essential part of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection, what have we seen? There would be no gospel. Without the resurrection, there would be no good news. Without the resurrection, there would be no salvation. There would be no hope for us here today. If Christ's death has been effective in dealing with the problem of sin, then what Paul has been trying to teach the Corinthians and us is that victory uh, must touch our bodies as well as our souls and our spirits. 
And if you remember, the Corinthians were struggling with that. They were struggling with believing in a bodily resurrection. And what Paul is saying to them in chapter 15 is, without that, there's no salvation. Because God has given us victory, body, soul, and spirit. And in verses 35 through 49, the last section that we looked at two weeks ago, Paul answered two of the main objections that that were raised about the resurrection. The first objection was, how is the resurrection possible? Uh, Once the body has dissolved, once the body has decayed, once the body has gone gone into the grave, how can it be resurrected? How can it be raised again? And Paul used the analogy of the the seed being planted in the ground and the dissolving of that seed, the dying of that seed brought about new life as the body uh, that that comes out of that seed is new life. And and he shared with us that principle of growth there, of, of new life coming out of death, if you will. And the second objection then that was raised is, uh, well, you know, if there is going to be a resurrection, what kind of a body do those who have been resurrected have? You know, if the present body is going to be different, if the present body is not restored, what kind of new body is that going to be? And what he shared with us is going to be a body that is very similar to our Lord Jesus Christ, a body that is suited to live in the realm of the spirit, if you will, the, the spiritual kingdom in which we will live. You know, in fact, this, this new body that is fitted to the spiritual kingdom is essential for us to be able to live in heaven, for, for life there in heaven. And now he wants to move on and talk to us about how that's going to occur and, and what has happened to bring about this resurrection. And we see in verses 50 through 58 the defeat of death. And there are three things that we'll look at this morning, but the first thing he wants us to see is the requirement, and that comes in verse 50, and uh, what he is trying to share with us is this, the resurrection body uh, is a requirement for flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Look at verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. That phrase, flesh and blood, is simply a reference to our physical bodies here and now. All right, It's just a simply uh, refers to our earthly body. Uh, that body which is suited to life where? Here on earth. That, that we are flesh and blood. We are suited for life on earth. The flesh is the material. You know, the blood is seen as the life, if you will. Uh, so this present body, as we sit here this morning, this present body is not yet suited to life in the spiritual kingdom. The perishable, he says there, cannot inherit or possess the imperishable. Uh, the corruption, can, the corrupt cannot inherit the incorrupt. So because of that, it is necessary for us to be born again, to be made alive spiritually in order to enter into the kingdom of God. We see that in John chapter 3. Remember, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, you know, how can someone inherit the kingdom of God? And what did Jesus say? Thou, you must be born again. 
And remember, Nicodemus didn't understand that. How is that possible? How can a, a man, a grown man be, you know, can I enter into my mother's womb and be born in? And Jesus said, no, we're talking about spiritual birth here. And in the same way then, that, that I cannot enter into heaven spiritually without being reborn. Because, you know, Ephesians tells me I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I need to be made alive spiritually in enter in, to enter into heaven. In that same way, it is also necessary for my physical body to be adapted to life in the spiritual realm as well. Because right now, Paul says, flesh and blood, this material body cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, spiritually, I'm born again. Spiritually, I'm ready for heaven. But this body is not yet ready for heaven. And Paul has already shown us that the resurrection for the believer is the the thing that's going to meet this requirement. And that's what he showed us in verses 34 through 49, 35 through 49. Uh, But before uh, he can close this, this section out, He says there's one more thing that we need to consider. If a renewed body is required to dwell in God's spiritual kingdom, not only a renewal of my soul, not only a renewal of my spirit where I I accept the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, but, but if I need that new body as well, if that new body is required to dwell in God's spiritual kingdom, what about those who are still living when the Lord returns. Remember the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians had a problem with that as well. You know, what, what happens to those who are still alive when, when Christ returns? If, if death is, if, if, if death is, if the resurrection, let's look at it that way. If the resurrection is the means by which we get that new body. If the resurrection is the means by which that new body comes forth, the seed planted in the ground and new life springing out, what about those that don't die? What about those who are raptured? And by the way, how many are in for the rapture? You know, are we ready for the rapture? Let's have that rapture instead of the death. What about us? You know, well, what if the Lord comes back today? What if we are raptured? If, if death is a requirement or if resurrection is a requirement for that new body, what about those that never die? And so Paul looks at that in verses 51 through 53, and, and he, we call this a revelation, if you will. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. Paul says, I, I, I'm going to tell you a mystery. And, and I've shared this with you before, and I know you know this. The word mystery in the New Testament simply means this is a truth that was once hidden that is now going to be revealed. You know, when we think of a mystery, we think of trying to figure something out. But a mystery in Scripture, when Paul shares New Testament mysteries with us, it's just a truth that Old Testament saints didn't know anything about. All right, maybe it was, it was a mystery to them, if you will. They're, they're, it was hidden from them. And Paul says, now I'm going to reveal to you this mystery, uh, this truth that was not known in the past, but now God has revealed to Paul and Paul reveals to us. And look at the mystery. First of all, he says, we shall not all sleep. In other words, here's a great hope. 
all believers will not die. All right? All believers will not die. Now, unless if the Lord does not return, all of us sitting here today will do what? We will die. But what Paul says is there will be a time, there will be a day whenever the Lord comes and all believers are not destined, if you will, for death. All believers will not die. Some believers will be living when Jesus Christ comes back for his church. We shall not all sleep. But notice the next phrase, we will all be changed. We will all be changed. I've heard that that's the great verse for the nursery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Let that ruminate for a little. Uh, what does he mean by that? While all believers do not die, Paul now reveals uh, that the change for the body will still impact or affect every believer. No believer is going to be left out. All believers have the same hope. You know, if the Lord comes today, my body is going to be changed, Paul says. My body is going to be glorified. Now, that new body uh, comes through the resurrection from the dead. That's what Paul's already been talking to us about in 1 Corinthians 15. But what he is now revealing to us as a mystery, as a new truth, is that God will in some way bring about some kind of change and transformation of those who are living at the time of the rapture. Because we too must be changed if we're going to live in, in heaven, if we're going to live in God's spiritual kingdom. And so Paul says that if you are alive when the rapture occurs and you do not physically die, you're not going to miss out. You too, you might not die, but you will be changed. You will be transformed. And in verses 52 and 53, Paul goes on to elaborate on this and to give us some of the details about this new revelation. We're not all going to die. We all will be changed. We have to be changed. See, understand that. We have to be changed in order to spend eternity in heaven. We had to be changed spiritually we had to get that new life in Christ. We also now need a new body to go along with our new soul and our spirit. Well, how's that going to happen? We'll look at verse 52. That change is going to be instantaneous. It's going to be in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That phrase, in a moment, uh, I think is an important phrase. The, the word moment there is uh, from the Greek word from which we get the word Adam, uh, A-T-O-M. And the idea there is something that cannot be cut. Uh, that is the shortest possible segment of time. Uh, that, that which can no longer be further divided. It, it's an instant. It's that boom moment in time. This is the also, the only place in the New Testament where the phrase, in the twinkling of an eye, is used. And we're very familiar with that. We, we as believers, we talk about the twinkling of an eye. And, and you know, uh, it's a phrase that, that really speaks to us of rapid eye movement. You know, a lot of times we think about, and again, I'm sure you've heard it, it it's, it's even quicker than a blink, 
All right, some of you are thinking about nodding off here. So blink real quick, you know, and, and boom. You know, it's even quicker than that. It's that twinkling of an eye. It's that rapid eye movement, if you will. It's the involuntary flinch of an eye. So once again, Paul is speaking of something that happens instantaneously. In other words, at one moment, I'm the old me. At the next moment, I'm the new me. That's how salvation occurs, isn't it? When I accept Christ as my Savior, instantaneously, I'm changed. I have that new life. I was spiritually dead. Now I'm spiritually alive. What Paul says is the same thing's going to happen to my body. If I'm alive at the moment of the rapture, in a second, in a quicker than a second, in the twinkling of an eye, I'm going to be changed. We're going to be changed. It's going to be instantaneous. Instantaneous. Look at the next thing. The change is going to come at a specific moment in time. It's going to come at a given signal. In a moment, verse 52, in the twinkling of an eye, when is it going to occur? At the last trump. And the thought here is the change will take place at that moment, that given point in time, at that given signal. Go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is the other classic passage on this. Paul's speaking here of the rapture to the Thessalonians, and he says to, to them, verse 15, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Paul says it's going to happen in a moment. It's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. It's going to happen at the given signal, the the blast of the Lord's trumpet. Now, the military trumpet, go back to 1 Corinthians. The military trumpet uh, was used to give commands. We don't do that too much anymore, do we? Uh, we, We've kind of moved on in our military from that. But the military trumpet was to give a signal, to to give a a command to the, the, the troops. And, you know, when you watch the old movies, you hear the trumpet sounding and the different sound that the trumpet made let the, the army know what to do and how to move and what, you know, when to go. Well, God's trumpet will one day sound at the rapture, at the coming of Christ for his church. We're going to hear, Burp! you know, I don't know how, what we're going to hear, actually. It's going to be God's trumpet, you know. Uh, but that trumpet will sound, and that trumpet signals a couple things. It signals, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, the raising of the believing dead. They're going to be woke up, right? They are going to be resurrected. And it's also going to, at that same time, uh, provide the instantaneous and complete transformation of the bodies of those believers, those saints who are alive at the time of the rapture. When we hear the trumpet of God, 
in that twinkling of an eye, at that very moment, the dead will be raised and we will be changed if we're still alive at that moment in time. The living believers will receive in that instant, Paul says, the same kind of spiritual body that we saw in verses 35 through 49. We'll receive our resurrected bodies, if you will, even though we never died. Even though we never died. We will receive an incorruptible body. uh, An immortal body. Maybe is a better thought there. A body that is no longer under the principle of death. Look at verse 53. We see the necessity of such a change. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. There we see the necessity of such a change, both for the living and for the dead. What Paul says is this, since our body today, since what you have right now is is not suited for God's eternal kingdom because it's corruptible. It's mortal, if you will. Maybe, again, that's a better thought. It's mortal. The, the, what that means is that the, the bodies that we have right now, at this moment, the principle of death and decay still reigns in them. And, and that has to be changed. We are still, as we sit here today, we are born again believers. We are on our way to heaven, but this body is subject to death. This body is subject to disease. This body is subject to being tired. This body is subject to weakness. And all of that has to be changed. This body is a mortal body. The principle of death still reigns in this mortal body. And Paul says that kind of a body cannot exist in God's kingdom. That kind of a body has to be changed. And so the renewal must not only touch my spirit, the renewal must not only touch my soul, the renewal must also then touch my body. It must change my physical body. Why? Because the body of man, the body of us as people, is an essential part of our being. How did God create man? Body, soul, spirit. That's how he created us. And so that's how we have to be. And so my soul and my spirit have been changed. My body has to be changed. My body has to be resurrected. My body has to be transformed if if I don't die. And so the body of man is an essential part. You see, that is the final and the complete victory. And it has to involve the body as well as the soul and the spirit. If God stopped at my soul and my spirit, the victory would not be complete. You know, we've seen a few football games over the last day, uh, last couple of days, where, where a team got really close to victory. In fact, uh, someone was telling me down in prayer partners, I didn't see it, but in uh, the one game last night, they actually poured water over the coach because they won the game. They didn't win. The game wasn't quite over. You see, if God doesn't give us victory for our body, the the victory is not complete. It's, It's not finished. We have to be 
perfected. Body, soul, and spirit. That is the final and the complete victory involves my body as well as my soul and my spirit. Well, Paul says it's a requirement that we be changed. And let me tell you how, to, how that's going to happen. Let me give you this revelation, this mystery. Well, what is the realization of that? And, and if there is a realization of that, man, we ought to be rejoicing. And, and that's what he gets into then in verses 54 through 58. When this transformation is complete, God's redemptive plan is fully realized. When you and I have our glorified bodies, God's transformation, God's redemptive plan is is finished. It's fully complete. That which God set out to do in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross will be fully realized when you and I receive our new body. You see, God's word has pointed to this complete victory. If sin is to be completely conquered, then death, which is the penalty of sin, has to be defeated as well. It seems that when Paul comes to verse 54, he says, So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, when this mortal has put on immortality, when this body has been changed, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? And if you've noticed in your Bible, most of you probably those words are in italics, which means that it's a quotation. And it's usually a quotation of Old Testament scripture. It seems that Paul might have Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8 in mind here, where Christ has by his death swallowed uh, by his death, swallowed up death, if you will. So having dealt with the cause of sin, the penalty of sin is death. Having dealt with that, he has also taken away the effect of sin as well. And that will be fully realized when the, the effects of death are forever removed from man's body. We sit here this morning, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, we sit here this morning changed, yes, saved gloriously. But our bodies are breaking down. Our bodies are breaking down. And these bodies one day will be complete, Paul says. And then the victory will also be complete. And that will be fully realized when we get those glorified bodies. So when resurrection and or transformation occurs and brings to a believing man a body that is incorruptible and immortal, then victory is is finalized. We have the final thrill, if you will, of victory. And as Paul thinks about that, and as we think about that this morning, it causes Paul to break out in song. It's going to cause me to break out in song. I'm going to sing for you. Not. But that's really what he's doing. He's breaking out in song. And in verses 55 through 57, you know, he he is just praising. It's a song of victory. It's a cry of conquest that goes up from Paul's heart as he anticipates this final victory. This final victory over sin. And Paul says, I can look death 
squarely in the face and say, you have been defeated. And this song that we have here is also similar to what we see in the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 13, verse 14. And he says here, O death, where is your sting? Now, you know, uh, where, where is your victory? We have lived in the fear of death. We have lived in bondage to death our entire lives, if you will. You know, that is, is kind of out there. Well, hopefully we don't dwell on it. Hopefully we don't think about it. Hopefully, you know, you're not terrified of it and all those things. But it's kind of out there. We know that our bodies one day are going to die unless the Lord comes. But Jesus Christ, Paul says, by his death on the cross, conquered death. And even though death still appears to claim the victory, as one by one our, our bodies do die, even though it looks like death is claiming the victory, that's not the end, Paul says. For the truth is death has been conquered. And the, the dead in Christ will rise with that incorruptible body. And those who live when Christ return will likewise be transformed so that I can look death squarely in the face and say, what's, what's up with you? Where's your victory? And death is pictured here as the sting of a bee or the sting of a scorpion. You ever been stung by a bee? You know, some bees that when they sting you, they keep stinging, right? I can remember playing golf one day and uh, walking over a sand trap. And as I took a step, things started hurting. And I had stepped on a bee's nest and just boom, 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 up, up my leg, they, they went, you know. But there are some bees that when they sting you, the stinger is, it comes out and they are then no longer able to keep stinging. You know, and, and it's like Jesus Christ took that stinger for us so that the, 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 the bee is still there, but it has no power. He's taken all the poison for you and I. And so the, the stinger has been taken care of. Oh, death, where's your sting? It, it's gone. Christ removed the stinger. It is powerless now. Death is power. Oh, yeah, I may die. Unless the Lord comes, I will die. But that's not the end. What have we seen in chapter 15? The grave is not the end. I will be resurrected. I will be given a glorified, renewed body that can live forever in heaven. Death, you have no power over me. That's why believers can face death with confidence. Paul goes on to say the strength of sin, he says there, death is, where's your sting? Oh, Hades, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. You know, that, that's the only power that death have, has over man is the fact of sin. Death is the penalty of sin. But think this through. If Jesus Christ has truly borne our sin, if he's taken it away there on the cross, the sting of sin has spent itself in him. All of the poison has been emptied out on him and death has no more power for Christ put away sin. 
Sin's strength is in the law, Paul says. It's the law that establishes the righteous standard of God. It's the law that defines sin. When we sin, we miss the mark of God. You know, when we sin, we, we go astray from the mark of God, from the law. It's the law, then, that condemns us to death. But look at verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us what? Victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, folks, victory is complete. Jesus Christ bore our sins. He fulfilled the righteous demands of the law so that the law is forever satisfied. God is propitiated. That's the word. He's satisfied. He's satisfied by the the one who took our place, who paid in full the penalty of my sin. But you see, folks, if you don't put your faith and trust in the one who took the penalty of your sin, you're still under the power of sin. You're you're not covered by the righteousness of Christ. But he bore our sins. He paid in full the penalty of sin. Death has been stripped of its power. It has no more hold on us. And the principle of death, as it applies to our bodies, is defeated. We have been made alive spiritually And Paul says, we will also be made alive physically. And that's worth shouting about, Paul says. That's worth praise. That's worth rejoicing. Resurrection and transformation are a glorious reality. And it should cause us to praise God. It should cause us to rejoice because he has won that victory. You know, when your team wins the big game, And some of you are hoping next Saturday, Fort Hill will win the big game. You know, some of you are saying, you know. (laughs) When your team wins the big game, how do you respond? Oh, hey, cool. We, We get excited, don't we? Paul says, this is something to get really excited. This is, this is something Christ has won the victory for us. You know, when you come to the realization of this glorious victory that Christ has won for us, and when you really believe that reality rests in that new body in God's kingdom, then there's some great implications for you and I today. There are great implications for us. We already saw them a couple weeks ago in verses 29 through 34. Reality is in the resurrection. Reality is in eternity. And and Paul told us there, the one who invests his life and energy and that which is only for the here and now is foolish. If everything you are working for now, if everything you are investing in now is for this life only, you're a fool, Paul says. Foolish one. If we're putting all of our time and all of our energy in the things of this life, and I know that that's a struggle for some of us. If God is on the back burner, you know, if if my spiritual life is on the back burner and the things of this life are far more important, Paul says you're foolish. You're foolish because this life is going to pass away. We ought to be living with eternal values in view. 
That's the only rationale for a believer who is consistently living in the truth of God's word. We are looking for eternity. And because of that, Paul closes by saying in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and immovable. He says to the Corinthians, "You, you need to stand fast. You need to be immovable. You know, there's the story of the first battle of Bull Run in the Civil War. And as the, the Union Army was advancing and seeming to be making an advance and perhaps even going to win the battle, uh, Stonewall Jackson, Thomas Jackson and his Virginians stood there and uh, they held them back. And one of the Confederate generals says, look, there stands Jackson like a Stonewall, immovable. And Paul says to the Corinthians, be immovable. Why were they moving? Because the Corinthians, like us, were so easily influenced by the pagan world around them. The Corinthians were were swayed by this theory and swayed by that theory. And they were swayed by this thing. and and, And that's so often where we are. And Paul says to us, stand fast. Don't be easily swayed by the things of the world. Don't be easily swayed by the way the world thinks, by what the world says, by the values of the world. And I got to tell you, so many times we're consumed as believers with the present things of this world, with the present values of this world. Paul says, stand fast on the truth of God's word. Stand fast on eternity. And look what he says to end the chapter. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain for the Lord. That phrase, always abounding, means that we should be overflowing in the work of the Lord. For many of us, we give the Lord our spare time. Or maybe not even our spare time. We give the Lord our leftovers. We give the Lord you know, a little bit of time, and we think, wow, I really did something for God today. Paul says, you got to be over, you overflowing in the work of the Lord. You ought to be over, you know, always abounding in the things of eternity. Why? Because the eternal life is the only life that matters. How foolish is it to give all of our attention to what is here and now? Instead, Paul says, invest in the work of the Lord because that work pays eternal dividends. In fact, there is nothing we do for the Lord that will not pay back dividends in the eternal kingdom. Suppose you had some money you wanted to invest. And you had... You know, you're not supposed to have insider trading or insider information. But suppose you had money that you you were able to invest and you had some insight that this company was going to do well in the short term and in the long term is going to fall flat on its face. Or this other company was going to last. And it was going to be a great investment. And you were, you know, that would be a solid. Where would you put your money? We'd be foolish to do what? Put it in that one that looks good, but three months from now it's gone. 
And that's Paul's idea here, folks. We need to invest in the future. We need to invest in, in the things of the future and the things of eternity. Paul says here in this chapter, the here and now life, the physical life is obsolete. It's passing away. It's on its way out. The future lies in a whole new dimension in the spiritual realm. So we need to be investing in the spiritual life because that's where the future is. And Paul says, man, one day we're going to be transformed. One day we're going to spend eternity with our Lord. Let's be ready for that day. Are you ready? Are you ready? I hope you are. Thank you for listening. For more information on our church located in Cumberland, Maryland, please go to cumberlandcornerstone.org.